great, great opportunity. So praise God for that ministry. And like he said, there's information on the front if, you, if you'd like to get it. And also out uh, in the front and on this table, there's some information there. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Hebrews in chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. If you've already found it, say amen. All right. Wherefore, he is able to also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Lord, this morning as we look into your word, may our hearts be open before you. May our wills be bent towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're just preaching this series of sermons called um, One Verse Wonders, and I'm excited about it. And what we're doing is, is, is we're recognizing that some verses are so pregnant with truth that they could not only birth one sermon, but they could actually birth a thousand sermons. You think about verses like John 3.16, God so loved the world. I mean, how many sermons could you preach from that? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh, uh, verses like Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verses like Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after that the judgment. These are verses, single verses, that are just so pregnant with truth, so filled with, with the great power of God, that you could just preach a thousand sermons from them. Our text today is is numbered with those great texts of Scripture. And while many have used this as an appeal for sinners uh, to come to Christ, that's not really the primary purpose of this verse. The primary purpose of this verse is to encourage believers, to encourage those who have already come to Christ. It's secondarily an invitational verse. Primarily, it's a verse to encourage those who've already been saved by the grace of God. So this morning, we're going to preach this verse to the believer. And our intent this morning is to strengthen the believer. And I want to share to you some wonderful truths that come about in your life when you begin to understand that you can rest in your Savior. Now, we might ask this question. We might say, well, why in the world do we preach salvation to those who are already saved? And it's a very simple way to answer that question, and it's this. We don't stop thinking about our salvation once we're saved. In fact, we might argue that we never even really begin thinking about our salvation at all until we are saved. Because no one can really appreciate a salvation who has not experienced salvation. I thought very little of salvation at all until January the 14th, 1996 when God radically saved me. But every single day since January the 14th, 1996, I have thought about my salvation. I can say that without any doubt at all. That every single day since January the 14th, 1996, I have thought about my salvation. It's like marriage. We wake up every day thinking about, you know what? I'm married. It's like being a mother. As we think about Mother's Day, you wake up every day thinking, hey, I'm a mom. Like being a dad. You wake up every day. Hey, I'm a dad. I think about myself. I'm a husband. I'm a father. It's something I naturally think about every day. There was a moment when I became a husband and there was a moment when I became a father. But it so transformed my life that every single day I think about it. You see, those days define me now. And so much more the day of my salvation. 
So much more the day of my salvation absolutely defines me now. You think about where in the world if you have joy, where does your joy come from? Your joy comes from the fact that you were saved. It comes from your salvation. Where does your peace come from? It comes from the fact that you were saved. Where does your patience come from? Your ability to endure the storms of life. It comes from the reality that that one day God saved you. Without salvation, we have nothing to sing about, folks. Nothing at all to sing about. Without salvation, every sermon is a threat. That's it. All you can think about is, I don't live up to the standard. Without salvation, there's no unity among the nations. We're just one group of people living in one corner of the earth, isolating ourselves from the rest of the world. Because without salvation, what in the world would we want to have anything to do with anyone else for anyway? And so our text is is full of truth that's going to help us understand what it means to rest in our salvation. I want you to understand that your salvation is a well. That not only are you supposed to drink from all the days of this earth, but your salvation is a well that you will drink from from all of eternity. All of eternity. Ever on your mind will be this wonderful reality. Christ saved me. Salvation is meant to give you rest. What did Jesus say? Come unto me. All you weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I want to give you five reasons this morning that you can rest in your salvation. The first is this. We have a Savior who is able. It says He is able to save them to the uttermost. He is able. Those are three grand words, church. He is able. More grand than she said yes. Amen? More grand than it's a girl. More grand than no more cancer. More grand than it's paid for. Hey, more grand than supper is ready. Those three wonderful words. He is able. And He is able to do what, church? He is able to save you. Now what's implied here? Well, it's implied, first of all, that we need to be saved. And we know that we do. The law of God, our conscience, testifies to this. That you and I are condemned, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. And so this verse implies that we need to be saved, or else why would it say He's able to save them? It also implies that we cannot save ourselves. Now, I know that there are a lot of people in who are, who are gifted, and, and there are people who have abilities, but I'll tell you what, uh, there's not a single person in this room that could save a sinner. You ask yourself, could you save a sinner? Well, let me ask you this, could you save yourself? Could you save your children? You love them more than anyone. Could you just save one person in all this world? Would you qualify to be a Savior? In order to be a Savior, well, well, first of all, you'd have to be perfect. But not only would you have to be perfect, you'd have to stay perfect. Thirdly, this may be the most difficult one. You'd You'd have to want to save everyone. Amen? You'd have to want to save everyone. Then you'd have to endure the very wrath of God without sinning while you endured it. And then you'd have to die and you'd have to raise yourself up from the dead after you died. You know what that means, church? That means that there's not a single person in here who qualifies to be a Savior. Not a single person. And those are just a few things. There was a search made for a Savior in the book of Revelation chapter 5. 
And so they couldn't find a man on, in heaven or a man on earth who was worthy to be the Savior. And when John, who was writing this, saw this, the Bible says that he wept. You go through there and you see that he saw that the patriarchs were not able. Abraham could not offer up his son for our sins. The prophets were not able. Despite the preaching of Isaiah, despite the tears of Jeremiah, those prophets weren't able. The priests weren't able. You go back and look at verse 23. They just kept dying. One after another, after another, after another, that they kept dying. None of these are able. But the text says Christ is able. He was born perfect without a sin nature. He remained perfect. He loves all the world. He endured the wrath of God without sinning. And He rose from the dead, church. And He is able to open the eyes of the blind. Not just the physically blind, but He can open the eyes of the spiritually blind. He is able to raise the dead. Not just the physically dead, but as Ephesians 2 says, the spiritually dead. He is able to cleanse the leper. Not just those who are living in a day and age where skin diseases made, made a person completely ostracized from the community, but He is able to heal us from the leprosy of sin. All of us who are unclean. Friend, I cannot do this. You cannot do this. The greatest of parents cannot do this. The greatest of preachers cannot do this. Christ is able though. Christ can do it. When Christ says, come unto me, He doesn't mean come unto me and save yourself. When He says, come unto me, He says, come unto me and I will save you. I've said this before, that when you see a sinner in heaven, and if you're saved, you'll see a lot of them there one day. Amen? But when you see those sinners in heaven, it's like seeing a turtle on a fence post. If you see a turtle on a fence post, there's one thing you know. He didn't get there himself. Amen? Poor turtles can barely get across the road in my neighborhood without something horrible happening to them. You see a turtle on a fence post, you say, man, somebody put that thing there. And I'll tell you, when you see a sinner in heaven, here's what you've got to know. Somebody put them there. Because they could never have gotten there on their own. Christ is able. Christ takes all of us turtles and puts us on the great fence post in heaven, doing something for us that we could never do. So the first thing I want you to see from this text, church, is Christ is able. Secondly, I want you to see this. Not only do we have a Savior who is able, but we have a Savior who is impartial. It says He is able to save them. Now that word may not mean much to you. Maybe in your version it says those, those, them. Doesn't make any difference. But I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say He's able to save, save Jews. It doesn't say He's able to save Gentiles. It doesn't say He's able to save men or women or the black or the white or the young or the old or the good or the bad. It just says He's able to save them. You know, there are people who can't rest in their salvation because they're not sure God will save them. They're not quite sure about that. Well, let me ask you a question, friend. You may be a lot of things, but are you this? Are you a whosoever? Amen? Are you a whosoever? You say, well, yeah, I'm a whosoever. Well, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Paul gave us a list of the thems in the Corinthian church who had been saved. 
Some of them had been sexually immoral. Some of them had been idolaters. Some of them had been adulterers. Some of them had been homosexuals. Some of them had been thieves. Some of them had been greedy, had been drunkards, had been slanderers, had been swindlers. So he makes a lot of thems. Understand where God has brought them from. And for many years when I was a chaplain, I'd often have people ask me this question. They would see some person who had done some horrible crime, something unthinkable, even among sinners. And they would say, well, well, can God save them? Can God save them? And, and, and listen, here's the thing. We're all in the same category, church. We're all them. Every single one of us. Our Savior is impartial. He saves the vilest of sinners. You say, well, you don't know, Pastor. You don't know what I've done. Well, let me ask you this. Have you murdered the husband of your lover? Well, David's with the Lord. Have you tortured and killed Christians? Well, Paul's in heaven. Have you publicly denied you don't even know who Jesus is? Well, Peter is near the throne right now. And I understand that all of us have a past and some of it is more ugly than than others may be. But if you can't rest in your salvation because you just keep thinking about how awful your sins were before you came to Christ, you just need to remember this, that there are people in heaven right now who were greater sinners than you were. There are people in heaven today who were saved by the grace of God because we have a Savior who is able. The blood of Jesus is far more precious and more powerful than any sin you could ever commit. And any sin you can ever commit can be covered in that precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see this beautiful picture of Jesus here. Uh, Not only a Savior who is able, but a Savior who is impartial who will come to the vilest of sinners and save them. So we see we have a Savior who is able in this text. We see in this text a Savior who is impartial. I want you to see thirdly, we have a Savior who is exhaustive. He is exhaustive. It says He is able to save them to the uttermost. I love that word. Even if you go to like an ESV or something, they keep using that word. You know why I think they use that word against with different translations? Because it's just a great word. To the uttermost. He is able to save them to the uttermost. That means that Christ saves completely. Two things. First of all, that speaks to the extent of our salvation. That means that your salvation is not partial. I was recently reading a story of, 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 of I was reading um, about broken adoption, Shannon, and and this is when the adopted children are rehomed. For whatever reason, the adoptive parents decide they no longer want the child that they're adopt that they've adopted, and that's a fear that a lot of adopted children live with. I'm sure Shannon knows knows all about that. Will I be abandoned again? I was abandoned and somebody took me in. But what if these people abandon me now? Well, the Bible says in Romans 8.15 that we have been adopted by God. That we have received the spirit of adoption. And here's the good news, church. God never sends a child He adopted back to the orphanage. 
He never does it. Romans 8.30 says, Whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, He also justified. And who He justified, He also glorified. If you're truly a child of God, you'll always be a child of God because He saves to the uttermost. But not only does this speak to the extent of our salvation, it also speaks to the entirety of our salvation. What do I mean by that? Well, we often say, well, God saved my soul. And that's true. Certainly, if you're saved, God saved your soul. But God saves more than your soul. God saves all of you. God saves every bit of you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 23, it says we groan in these bodies. We have a body that's been affected by sin. And the older you get, the more you recognize it, don't you? At this point in my life, when I drop something, I'm really debating on the worth of that object. Amen? Is it really worth me picking it up? So there are trails. Our back. Our knees. Our head. Our hands. Our stomach. Our feet. Our neck. We groan, don't we, church? We groan. And Romans 8.23 says we groan because we're waiting on the redemption of our body. But there's a future part of our salvation that we call glorification. That one of these days because He has saved us, not only in the sense of, of are we saved forever, but we are saved completely. We get a glorified body that will never cause us to groan again. There are no wheelchairs in heaven. There are no breathing machines in heaven. There is no dialysis in heaven. There is no arthritis in heaven. Because the truth is this, heaven wouldn't be that great in these old bodies. You imagine living forever in what you've got. I mean, you can't even drive your car forever, can you? This old body that you have, man, there's no way. But when it says that Christ saves you to the uttermost, it's speaking of a completed salvation. That means that it not only endures to the end, but it encompasses your entire body and soul and spirit. And one of these days, you and I will have a glorified body that will never age and never hurt and never get old at all. He saves you to the uttermost. He saves you forever and He fits you with a body in heaven so that you can endure forever. So we see this beautiful truth teaches us that we have a Savior who is able. We see it teaches us that we have a Savior who is impartial. We see that we have a Savior who is exhaustive, who who saves us forever and who saves us completely. Fourthly, I want you to see this, that we have a Savior who is willing. We have a Savior who is willing. The text says He saves those that come unto God by Him. Now why do they come? Well, they come because He calls. He calls. Uh, On January the 14th, 1996, when I was hung over in a trailer park, I didn't just wake up that day and say, Boy, I just think I'll just be saved today. From my point of view, did it seem like that? Well, eventually it kind of seemed like that. But you know what? The reality is this. It was God. It was God who was calling me. It was God who grabbed a hold of me and was drawing me to Himself. You may think this. You may say, well, He never called me. He never called me. Well, listen to me, friend. You say, well, I'm just not that important. Well, Well, He called the fishermen. And the fishermen were the people who weren't important in those days. 
You say, well, well, I'm a sinner. Well, Paul was the chief of sinners by his own admission. You say, well, I mess up too much. Man, have you met this guy named Peter? Open mouth, insert foot. Over and over and over again. You know who he calls, church? He calls the weary. He calls the thirsty. He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Christ calls the people in this world who are tired of carrying the heavy weight of their sin and they're sick of drinking from the broken cisterns of this world. And He calls us to Himself. And when we we hear His call and when we come to Him, what will He do, church? I mean, will, will he look us over for a while? Will he l- look at us like a like an old old cattler looks at a look, looks at, 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 at some livestock, wondering, "Hey, do I want to purchase this? Is it worth it? Is this going to add any any type of value to what I already have?" Is that what he does? No, he doesn't do that at all. Does he break out his calculator, look over you, and do the math and wonder if you're worth the investment? He doesn't call you unto Himself to look over you and then wonder if He'll save you. John 6.37 says, He that cometh to Me, I will in no wise cast out. One of the saddest stories, I use that in a relative way, that I can remember ever seeing recently was in 2017. The Boston Red Sox were playing the Cubs. Now, this is an absolutely true story. You can Google it if you don't believe me, but do not Google it right now. Amen? I'm preaching. And I will see you Googling. I have a gift. I'm able. 2017, the Boston Red Sox are playing the Cubs. A man had planned this romantic proposal to his girlfriend using the Jumbotron. You know what the Jumbotron is. It's that big TV screen up there. And, and you know, they, they put it on people. They do funny things. Well, he had planned this whole thing out to have the Jumbotron on him while he proposed to his girlfriend. And so everything was set. Everything was ready. There was only one problem. She didn't want to marry him. And he proposed to her on the Jumbotron in 2017 at a Red Sox game in front of a stadium filled with people. And she said no. That's not even the worst part. That's not even the worst part. This is the worst part. The fans started chanting, She said no! She said no! She said... And so all the part was chanting, She said no! Can you imagine how this man must have felt? Here's the good news, church. The good news is when we come to Jesus, we never have to worry about that. 
We never ever will hear, He said no. And I'll tell you, Satan would love to start that chant, wouldn't he? He would love to start that chant. He said no. He said no. But it'll never happen. He said, those who come to me, I will receive them. When we come broken over our sins and with faith in Christ asking for forgiveness, He will always say yes. You can rest in that. He is willing to save. Thank God for that. So we see here in this text, we have a Savior who is able. We see here in this text, we have a Savior who is impartial. We see here in this text, we have a Savior who is exhaustive. We see here we have a Savior who is willing. And then I want you to see that we have a Savior who is eternal. Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. He ever lives. He's always alive. Never dies. Why? To make intercession for you. Now, for the Jewish people, this is especially encouraging because all they had seen was their intercessors die. Look back up at verse 23. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Isn't that an interesting verse? He said, you know what he said? He said, we had a lot of priests, and the reason we had a lot of priests is because they kept dying. That's the Kyle Giddens translation of that verse. You know, you got a, a whole bunch of pictures right out there in the, in the front of the church there of preachers. And most of them are dead. I, I mean, like physically dead. I know a lot of you think, yeah, yeah, they were dead. Well, they're not here anymore, Brother Kyle. <laughs> Not the type of dead I'm talking about. They're physically dead. But you know why you got to keep getting preachers? Because preachers don't last long. Just like priests. And they were dependent upon these priests for their salvation. Dependent upon these priests to make intercession for them. To help them with their sacrifices. But they said, you know what? They just keep dying. And so now here comes the great high priest, Christ. And guess what, folks? He never dies. He never dies. So I can rest in my salvation because Christ who is keeping me will never ever die. The only danger I have today of losing my salvation is if Jesus dies. You hear me? That's it. And I promise you this church, He will not die again. He will not die again. He ever liveth. If Christ were to die, we'd all die. If Christ were to die, this world would quit spinning, folks, because we exist in Him. And as Christians, our salvation is bound up in Him. And our salvation is ever dependent upon Him. A dead Savior can save no one, and a dead Savior can certainly keep no one. But because Christ will never die, all who are in Him will never die. Jesus said this in John 10, 28 and 29. He said, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. My Father which gave them to Me is greater than all, and and no one is able to pluck them out of My Father's hand. What does that mean? Let me explain to you exactly what that means. Now what I'm about to say may sound very bold, but it's absolutely biblically true. The point is very simple that Jesus is making. 
The only way to destroy believers is to destroy the one who is holding believers in his hand. That's the only way. It's a bold but a biblical truth. Christ will perish before his people do. You hear me? You've heard that old saying, you'll get it when you pry it out of my dead cold hands. You've heard that, haven't you? I want you to think about those who are truly saved, those who are born again. Death and hell and the grave and Satan. When will they get believers? They will get them when they prime out of the dead, cold hand of Jesus. But the hand of Jesus will never be dead and it will never be cold. That's wonderful, isn't it, church? That's hope, isn't it? That's security, man. The only way for those who are truly saved to lose their salvation is if the Savior fails. And He can only fail if He dies. And that's why that phrase, He ever liveth, is so important. He ever liveth. So, we ever liveth. We're in Christ. And our salvation is eternal because our Savior is eternal. And church, this morning, you can rest in that And so the the point of this very simple verse, this one verse wonder as I've labeled this series of sermons, is to really not only encourage believers, but to exalt Jesus Christ in your mind. For you to recognize how glorious and wonderful and awesome the One who saved you truly is. My dear friend, if you are saved today, encourage yourself that you have a Savior who is able to save you. You have a Savior who was impartial in saving you. You have a Savior who is exhaustive in saving you, saving you completely. You have a Savior who was willing to save you. And you have a Savior who is eternal. And therefore, you will always be saved. Dear friend, rest in your salvation. Rest in your Savior. He has saved you to the uttermost. As a pastor, for the years that I've been, I've noticed two things. There are some people who have security in their salvation who should. I look at their life and I think, man, I don't know where you're, you're getting this idea from that you're a Christian because there's no fruit in your life at all. Maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe you got baptized. But man, there's no love for Christ. I don't care who you are. You have to love Jesus to be saved. That's part of it. I've known people like this. And the Scripture warns about people who are deceived. And they'll say to me, Lord, Lord. And they won't enter heaven. But then on the other side of that, I've seen these people. I've seen people who I believe in my heart are definitely, genuinely saved. A transformation has taken place in their life because they've been born again. There is a desire for God in their heart. They live for the Lord. They seek to do His will. But in their heart, they have a problem with doubt. And they keep wondering, and they simply wonder that they're saved because one side justifies their sin, and they say, well, I can, I can, you know, sin because I'm saved. And then the other side is the other extreme. They say, I wonder if I'm saved because sometimes I sin. My dear friend, if you're on that side, I can encourage you with these wonderful, wonderful words. That humility in your salvation is great proof that you are saved. When you, like the Apostle Paul, say, I'm a chief of sinners. When you, like Peter, say, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. 
When you recognize every single day that you need a Savior. Not just way back years ago when you came to Christ, but you need a Savior today. Man, that's proof to me that the grace of God has taken root in your heart. And don't waste your life worrying yourself to death over incidentals and tiny little things. Rest in Christ. Rest in your salvation. And my dear friends, service to the Lord will come so much more easily. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, 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 I don't know if I'm saved. Well, dear friend, I want to tell you about a Savior who is able, willing, exhaustive, all those things I just went through. I want to tell you about this wonderful Savior who loves you and gave Himself for you. Today, I want to encourage you to turn from your sin. Come and put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Call on His name and be saved. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you've wrestled with doubt. Maybe just call on God and say, Lord, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, help me to rest in the salvation that You've given. With every head bowed, Lord, we love You. Lord, we thank You.